for freedom every day. They're learning at a young age. They're being taught the socialists control the ones that are blaming Republicans for being Nazis, for being fascists, the ones that are promoting some type of cancel culture, the ones that are promoting some type of agenda of uh, shadow banning. Realize at a young age that, hey, sure, you can have your freedom of speech, but we can block your funding. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is another weekend, another wonderful weekend moving through the month of august and school officially starting across the nation holy cow man it's officially here can you believe it uh little voice of reason nine years old about ready to go into the fourth grade it is insane that she is excited and ready to get back at it again but that time's already here i had so much more planned for the summer and yet uh it's just difficult because we didn't get a chance to do all of it so i'm a little bummed about that that's okay welcome into the program it's wonderful to have you along for the ride on this another Saturday, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here at the Hoosier Media Network Studios. And welcome aboard. You can find us live on radio and TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the program. It's great to have you along for the ride. Coming up, bottom of this hour, we have Christina Bob. She is the legal uh, head legal attorney for the Trump campaign and the Save America PAC as she talks about some of the latest investigations on Trump, the indictments that are going on. Very scary for, well, I guess the Democrats, because they really want him gone. But outside of that, I don't think it bothers a whole lot of other people. Although we could see something come out of these legal cases in Washington, D.C. on the January 6th charges. So we'll talk with Christina Bob about that. Also, the Biden investigations and how the uh, last week we played our Trump distraction syndrome, new Trump dump bailout button. And they continue to use that one uh, for them to get away with whatever they want to. So we have some of that next hour. Rebecca Terrell, she's with The New American. We'll talk about some Chinese bio labs that are right here in the United States. I know, right? So we have all that to get to. But there's a lot to talk about throughout the day today. And I don't want to waste any time. Hold on. I'm playing. I've been changing around my buttons here. So let's try this. Oh, there we go. Look at that. What's trending today? What's trending today? Let's jump right into it on our which is what we love to do here on the program, talk about the latest, greatest, and shenanigans that are happening across the nation. And I have a question for you, as usual. I like to present the question for you to ponder as we talk about our topical discussion. But how involved, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a guardian, however you want to phrase it, how involved should you be versus are you when it comes to your child's education? Now that we are going back to school and the children are getting all geared up They're getting their school supplies, they're getting their backpacks, getting their hair done, they're finding all their school clothes, they're talking to their friends again, they're ready to figure out what they're going to do for their uh, weekday lineup and what classes they're going to go to and how everything's going to fall into place. Uh, While you're preparing for all of this, how involved as a parent, grandparent, guardian should you be? And if you are involved and you don't like something, something doesn't quite pass the smell test in the education system... How involved and how responsible are you to change that or at least bring it to the attention of the local school board? I ask you this because I have to say the COVID-19 pandemic, while it was tragedy, obviously, with so many people that passed away, although the number's questionable and we won't get into that today, while it was terrible and devastating for the economy by telling you that you are non-essential, especially if you have a small business, especially if you have a business that has a lot of employees, that you're non-essential. Go home, get a government paycheck, 
be scared of the world. Don't get any vitamins like, you know, getting sitting in the sun and getting your D vitamin, which is really good for an immune booster during a time of a pandemic. Don't be doing any of that. Sit at home, wrap yourself in bubble wrap, spray yourself down with the aerosol can three times a day, and then hopefully you'll be able to survive after you get your 15 booster shots from the vaccine. There was a positive light that came out of the pandemic, and I know it's kind of a weird thing to say, but there was something positive that came out of it. And one thing that was positive was that we began to be aware of the involvement of local politics and the involvement of local officials on how much they actually affect us, reminding us that the local governments are the ones that actually have a very influential part of our lives. Tell us how we can do things at a local level, the city council, your county commission, your school board, even your state legislature. Although right now we're talking more so on that local level on how influential they they are to you on a daily basis and we've kind of forgotten about that fact which is why right now we're seeing with elections that have been happening over the past few weeks for off-season elections for city council members for school board members for a lot of these seats that we normally don't pay attention to we're seeing a higher than usual turnout for these elections here in kansas where i'm based out of right now we had about a 15 percent voter turnout in my county for the latest elections for mayor and for school board and for city council seats 15%. Now, that's not big, but it's more so than what it is usually when we have an average of about 8% voter turnout, so a little bit higher. And we didn't have a major issue on the ballot. All we had was literally just a mayor's race for the city of Wichita, which was a relatively big race. There was like eight candidates, nine candidates in the race. But there were no legislative issues. There were no tax issues except for some of the local, uh, regional, and uh, some smaller towns that had some tax issues on the ballots. You know, state of Ohio, we had a major race out there last week, and I've talked about it quite a bit throughout the week, so I'm not going to focus on it a whole lot here, but the Ohio race with the Ohio issue number one, trying to change the uh, the threshold to change the Constitution in the state. Didn't quite work out. Many Republicans were concerned that people are in there trying to alter it, manipulate it with a mob mentality vote, which is what you get when you get a democracy of 51%. So they wanted to make it a little bit more difficult and try to preserve the Constitution the best that they possibly could. Unfortunately, it didn't pass. And in fact, it failed by almost a 60 to 40 vote, which is what the bill would have actually changed it to to in order to alter the state Constitution. But I want to go all the way out to the state of California for a second. And I love to pick on California because it's a beautiful state. I've been there once or twice, but yet they still have some very um, concerning things that happen in the state of California, one of them being this one. And again, remember, I asked you the question on how involved are you versus how involved should you be regarding your child's education? Because again, one thing that led to the awakening, I like to use that terminology here, the awakening during the COVID-19 pandemic was how involved we should be in our public education system. We realized that students were walking around with masks eight hours a day, which was not good for them in any way, shape or form. We started hearing about the remote learning, which was an absolute devastation, and we essentially lost a year and a half of school for most children across the nation. We learned about mandatory vaccinations for the COVID pandemic when children aren't even being affected by COVID. So what did we do? And then, by the way, that opened up the Pandora's box to a lot of other things that were going on in the schools that we weren't aware of. A lot of it was the sexualization of books during the, uh, during the classroom some of the textbooks that were being changed or manipulated or being banned altogether or that were being thrown onto our children. The 1619 Project, which we've known about for a while, but kind of came to another level of teaching how evil 
the United States actually has been. All of this started to surface during this time. At the same time, when we started to question those, we had elected officials literally trying to tell us that we shouldn't be questioning these things. You shouldn't be involved in your children's education. And in fact, if you did show up to the school board and cause a ruckus or at least voice your concern, you are more than likely a domestic terrorist in the United States. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. Stop the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Yeah, that was Terry McAuliffe out of the state of Virginia during the governor's race back in what was that, 2020, 2021? I think that was 2020. Wasn't it? Yeah. No, no, no. No, parents, you're not allowed to just walk in and just start taking books out of the classroom. No, no, you're not allowed to just walk in there and start making choices for your kids' education. You can't be doing something like that. Well, California's taking it to the next level here. According to them, they're promoting a new bill, Senate Bill 596, that would expand on current laws in the state that would bar parents from disrupting classrooms and extracurricular activities where a school employee is present. Now, I want to preface this by saying, there is a line that many parents sometimes do cross. And let's just put that out there. And this is the front that they're trying to use for this bill. But let's just talk about the obvious here. In the state of Kansas, where I'm at again here, our Kansas, uh, what is it? The Kansas Sports Athletic Association, they call it Kasia, the Kansas State uh, Athletics Association, yada, 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 whatever it is, that organizes all the state sporting activities, football and basketball and baseball and volleyball and soccer and swimming and everything else. They have a massive shortage of referees this year because many parents like to get out of hand when it comes to referees and the ones that officiate these sporting events for the children, heckling them, going after them, in fact, verbally harassing them, even attacking them physically. There's been a major issue. And for the little pay that these uh, officials get, they don't need it. And they're just bowing out. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Totally understand. Totally understandable. That's not what we're talking about here. This is what the front that the Democrats are using in California to try to promote this bill. Well, you know, parents are crossing the line a little bit. They just need to step back. Let us do our jobs. And I get that. We've gone from a society of blaming the student when they get a bad grade to going in and marching into the uh, teacher and blaming them for not giving their student an A because we know how smart little Bobby is. And we need to change that. Understandably. Again, that's not what we're talking about. Parents will be subject to a misdemeanor charge in the state of California if Senate Bill 596 passes, facing a $500 to $1,000 fine, along with jail time up to a year potentially for causing substantial disorder at sporting events and at meetings for the school boards. Now, what does that mean? Again, remember, this is Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. You're not allowed to question the books that we have your students read. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. You stop the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. I don't think that parents should be telling schools what the teachers should teach. I'm, I'm sorry. That's my child. I think that I'm going to decide what they're going to teach and not teach. I'm going to decide what my child's going to learn and not learn. And if not, I'm more than willing to take my kid home and homeschool or put them into a private school or put them into a charter school or put them in somewhere else where they have a better education because I'm going to decide what my child's going to learn. Now, what my child's going to learn is fact, which means some of it may be uncomfortable. Some of it may be something that they need to have a conversation about and they need to open up and have a class discussion about. But... If they're teaching my child about certain adult activities in the fourth grade, especially, I'm not okay with something like that. 
If they're trying to teach my child that she needs to be confused with her gender and that she's okay to feel like a boy, I'm not okay with that. If the counselor tries to take him in and do some hormonal treatments in some way, shape, or form and doesn't even notify us because they are actually legally fighting the fact that parents need to know about these things, I'm definitely not okay with that. According to some, the Heritage Foundation especially, who's battling this law in the state of California, saying, quote, it's clear that they're telling uh, to chill parents from speaking out. I find it curious that there's no definition on substantial disruption within the proposed text of the bill. What it does, however, is it defines harassment as a, quote, knowing and willful course of conduct directed at a specific person that seriously alarms, torments, or terrorizes the person, and that serves no legitimate purpose. It also adds that harassment can be just one or two acts occurring over a period of time, evidencing of a continuity of purpose, meaning it could be two events that happen in a six-month period. They even include, by the way, emails. If you email a school board member concerned about the education, concerned about a curriculum, concerned about a textbook, in the school district that your child is getting as a parent, they could say that they have been emotionally distraught, meaning the school board member. They have had severe mental uh, anxiety from your email because you were uh, stern or threatening to them. And you could be fined up to $500 to $1,000. And you could be put in jail for up to a year for emailing your school board member about a concern you have in the school district. Oh, yes, this is real. You want to talk about freedom of speech? Freedom of speech is dead in the state of California. And the oversight as a parent to oversee what the child does is dead if something like this actually goes through. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Just welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. Always great. So we have kind of two things going on here in the education system, especially in the state of California right now, don't we? We have number one, where parents are now being punished because they're not allowed to have a say, apparently, in the education system. Just give us to the government. Don't worry. We'll take care of your kids. Not a big deal. (laughs) And if you do question it, wait, I'm concerned about some of the stuff you're teaching. I'm concerned that you're not teaching them the right things. I'm concerned that you're teaching them a manipulated, biased, politically motivated uh, lesson of history, or you're trying to sexualize my children, or whatever the case may be. If you say that, and if you show up to a school board meeting, Then all of a sudden now you're a domestic terrorist and you're trying to overthrow the school board, which is a very strange situation for us to be in in the first place. And apparently now if one of these school board members, one of the liberal progressive triggered pink hat wearing whatever that gets very triggered and just very upset about it, they can turn you in. And if this bill passes, the Senate bill 590, what is it, 595, 596, whatever the hell this is, uh, then you could get a uh, 596. You could get a 500 to $1,000 fine and up to a year in prison for being concerned about your kid's education. So what did we do when all of this started happening? And we started waking up. We started realizing what was happening within the schools that we haven't paid attention to in a long time. What did we start to do? We're like, oh, well, maybe we should be more involved because number one, we should show up to our school board meetings to have a say because that's the whole point of having a school board meeting is for them to be transparent to the public and for the public input. 
because the most of the time, most of the time, the members of the school board are actually parents from students that are going to the school just wanting to make it better. Now, some people have turned it into a career. Some have turned it into like an HOA where you're just like the, not to make fun of actual Karens out there, but make, you know, kind of turned into a Karen thing where we're going to dictate because even though I don't have any skin in the game, I just have like a complete control freak mentality that has to direct people on how to live their life. So what did we start to do after COVID? There was this massive push nationwide for parents to start saying, wait a second, maybe I should run for school board. A harmless thing, right? I'm a parent. My kids are there. I want to be involved with my kids' activities. I want to try and help them with their education. I want to help oversee the budget to make sure we're not spending too much. I want to make sure that the curriculum's proper. I'm sick and tired of trying to do common core math. I don't understand what it actually means. So we try to run for school board. And we did it. But now we see the school board power being taken away as well because then we also hear this from school districts in the state of California on top of punishing parents who try to question their school board. If you're on the school board, you're now a political activist. You've hijacked the education system. And now the state department of education has to step in and override you as a school district because you're not allowed to be doing what they say that you're doing. So when I started the curriculum process, I was looking for three things, a robust curriculum that focused on history not social studies issues, but geography and civics. We were looking for parental involvement. We also wanted to have guardrails in place so that when it comes to some controversial historical figures of activism, that we questioned the educational suitability and made a wise decision. So we have been going through this process being very careful not to rubber stamp adopted curriculum by the state, but to say what's best for our community and then make the decision. That was Jennifer Weersman on Fox News. She is a school board member for the uh, Tecumla Valley School Bo- uh, Valley School District in California, where they've started to question some of the curriculum coming from the State Department of Education, trying to stop some of the quote-unquote sexualized books that were going into the classroom, especially for middle schoolers and even elementary schoolers. But you're not allowed to question that. And now that the parents have taken up the role, got more involved with the students, ran for the school board, won the school board race, and are now looking at the curriculum. Governor Gavin Newsom has come out, and we'll read that statement later on. Oh, no, no, you're not allowed to question this. So now that you're running the local school board, we'll just have the state step in, override you, call you a political activist, and then continue to promote the agenda we want to, because you as a parent that got involved, you're kind of a terrorist. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Meets Radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. There's what's up. Happy weekend to you again as we continue to move on here with our weekend in review here on the Voice of Reason. By the way, saw a headline from Fox earlier this week about Mitt Romney having 60 Republican officials in the state of Utah going after him. It sounds like the Speaker of the House and their state legislature may be uh, challenging him for that Senate seat going into next year. Could we see another Liz Cheney situation? <laughs> that would be awesome because then that would make us be able to celebrate. Yeah, so there's that. I don't want to waste any time. We sat down just a couple of days ago 
with another great individual and wanted to be able to play this for you to hear. She is the lawyer for the Trump team for the Save America Pact. She sat down with us to talk about what's going on the latest with the investigations on the Biden family, the latest indictments from the Trump family, and a heck of a lot more. She also has her book out as well. But Christina Bob sat down with us here on The Voice of Reason just a day ago, and this is what she had to say. Christina, how are you today? Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's so good to talk to you again and uh, to talk with you. There's a lot going on right now, and it's especially with Donald Trump. We talked about it in the last segment, but every time that there's some news coming out of the Biden family or Democrat shenanigans in general, it seems like there's just a new indictment for Donald Trump. Like, oh my, where did this one come from? Just pulling it out of the magic hat. Right. right. It's funny. I have a couple different thoughts on that. Yeah, it, the the timing of it is always very interesting to see how magically the news cycle changes away from Biden's corruption. But on the other hand, it seems like there's something coming out on Joe Biden's corruption every single day so that the chances that they do something to Donald Trump on the day that would benefit Joe Biden is pretty much like every day. <laughs> there's just so much information coming out. The odds are pretty good that uh, it's going to help out Joe Biden. Yeah, I, I think it is. It's finally going to come out. Now that uh, we heard from Jim Jordan, where he had said that now that they're finally getting some hard evidence, we have the video, we have the audio, we have the text messages, we have the IRS documents, we have hard evidence now that we can actually start pursuing this to the next level. Christina, do you see right. any type of actual criminal investigation or even an impeachment beginning, or at least an investigation of an impeachment beginning now that there's really no doubt that this stuff was happening. Yeah, it absolutely was happening. Yeah, I do think there will be one. I don't think it's going to come while Joe Biden's in office. I don't think it's going to come um, from this Department of Justice. I think there will have to. So what I mean by that is I think they would have to impeach Merrick Garland first uh, before the, this DOJ would actually do anything to Joe Biden. I think Merrick Garland is horribly compromised and will not do anything uh to the Biden fam, not Joe Biden, Hunter or whoever. So, but still, I, I hold out hope. I don't think our nation is lost. I think we are recovering from this horrible corruption in our government. And I think it will happen, but we're going to have to slog through a mess for a little while. Well, it is unfortunate. I mean, Donald Trump did go in there in the White House before, and he, I mean, he essentially burst the doors wide open, overturned the tables and exposed mm -hmm. it. And the Democrats and the, it's not even Democrats, just the quote unquote deep state, the elites, whatever the heck we want to call them. Yep. Uh, they are desperate to get back to business and as normal, and it's not working for them, which is why I think all this is starting to come out, isn't it? You're exactly right. That's why they're indicting Donald Trump. I mean, they don't want to out themselves as the crazy Marxists that they are. You know, they want what they had a few years ago before pre-Donald Trump, where the American people just believed everybody was doing what was in the best interest of the government. And even if there was a little bit of self-interest going on, it was just a little bit. You know, it wasn't anything major, nothing that would impact my life. You know, that kind of Pollyanna approach to our government is gone <laughs> and they miss that. So I don't think they want to be bringing these indictments against Donald Trump, but they have to, because unless they do something to remove him from the race, not only is he going to be the Republican nominee, but he's going to wipe the table with whoever the Democrat is, whether it's Joe Biden or anybody else. Yeah, that's so true. they have to do something to try to get rid of him. Yeah. We're talking with Christina Bob, part of the Trump legal team, also author of the book, Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Let's talk about all the legal battles with the Trump side of things right now. Obviously, the latest ones, the big one coming out of Washington, D.C. and this whole January 6th thing. 
Now, Christina, I'm no legal expert. I don't know about how law works, but I don't know what they're using as evidence to say how Donald Trump openly, willingly, and knowingly told people to go and cause havoc in the in Congress uh, when I don't remember him saying anything like that before. How how are they presenting right. this Isn't case? Well, the thing that I I think is so interesting about this is they had to plead, they had to they had to write the pleading, the indictment, the way that they did. Um, by claiming that he was lying. So basically, in all four counts, they have to claim that Donald Trump believed he lost the election, but he decided to lie to the American public to get them to believe that the election was fraudulent so that he could illegally seize power. And the reason they had to plead it that way, because, you know, at first glance, I read that and I was like, well, everybody knows Donald Trump believes he won that election. Like, why would they make it so hard on themselves? But I realized that they had to plead that way because if he wasn't lying, if he honestly believed that the election was stolen, he was the president of the United States and he had an obligation to do exactly what he did, which is to file cases in the courts, contact state legislatures, do have his team investigate. He had an obligation to protect our constitutional right to a free and fair election. And so they can't charge him with a crime for trying to do that if he believed that it was truly being stolen. So they had to accuse him of lying about it. Yeah. Uh, from the little bit that I know that it's kind of difficult to prove a negative, isn't it? To say that you absolutely right. know what's going on and that you lied through your teeth to make this happen. That's, I, I don't know how you prove that. Not beyond a reasonable doubt. That's for sure. Uh, they're going to find staffers to say, I mean, I don't know. I'm imagining what they would do. I haven't obviously <laughs> seen any witness statements or anything like that, but they're going to find somebody to say, oh, you know, he thought that he lost. But I don't even that I don't think is going to pass muster because he has so consistently and publicly been coming out about the rigged and stolen election. He's coined phrases about it. He's held to his story, never wavered that I just I just don't think not I one, I don't think it, it's true. I don't think he ever thought he lost the election. And two, even if they find some little weasel that'll be like, yeah, you know, I think he thinks he lost it. Like that's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not going to meet the burden of proof. So they have to hope that they get a jury with Trump derangement syndrome where everybody's completely deranged and that they can get a wrongful conviction. That's what their, that's their play. That's their only play. Right. And that's, and that's the big concern is, and I mean, it's in Washington DC, which is one of the more liberal district courts areas around. And then we had this judge that it was originally presented to here who was Extremely tough on January Sixers, who's been a fund, a donor for Obama and for Biden and Mm -hmm. has been a big time Democrat who despises Donald Trump. Is that a cause for concern? And shouldn't that again be another easy? Oh, my gosh, there's liberal bias in the courts. We need to go to a different area here. Well, I I would imagine that the trial team is going to make that appeal. Uh, You know, John Morrow is a good friend of mine. And I know that you have to protect every aspect of the case, even if it doesn't get granted, because quite honestly, I don't think the judge is going to move the venue, um, but you have to make that request for, you know, to preserve the record for appeal. So I imagine that they will do that sometime in the quite near future. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's why they're bringing it in D.C. And it's funny that they're bringing it in in D.C. and saying, oh, everything needs to be done, you know, in the district which the crime allegedly occurred and quoting the law and saying, you know, D.C., D.C., D.C. But yet, in Florida, they're having a grand jury in D.C. continue to hear the case that's in Florida. I don't know if you saw that where last week or earlier this week, Judge Cannon in the Florida case was like, hey, why are you using a D.C. grand jury? This case is in Florida. You need to be using a Florida grand jury. 
So they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to say, oh, we don't have to play in the district in Florida. We can do everything in D.C. and just kind of go down to Florida when we have to. But in the Washington, D.C. case, oh, no, no, everything has to be in D.C. We can't change anything. So they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Yeah, that is very strange. It's a, It seems like there's a lot of moving parts in a lot of these different indictments just to keep people confused. And that might be the intent of it as well. I know Jack's, uh, Jack Smith's office has uh, tried to request that a lot of these uh, hearings and actually the trials begin January 2nd, leading up right into Super Tuesday, yeah. which is just openly blatant. Hey, we're not even trying to do this in a proper legal manner where it could take forever like usual court cases uh-huh. do. But we're just going to do this right before election time because that's our motive here. Right. Not just right before election time, but you have to prepare for trial through the holiday. Like they're basically like we're going to ruin everyone's holiday <laughs> that's involved in this case. And not just Christmas, but, you know, starting today, the rest of your year is ruined. Um, not taking it into account any consideration that courts would normally take into account. And, you know, the prosecutors are like, oh, we're not taking politics into account. Yes, you are. The, the reason you're jamming it through is because you're trying to interfere with the election. You want all of this done and exhausted before the general election. So, yeah, they're absolutely playing politics. This, this is political theater. This is not a real trial. It's political theater. And the Department of Justice is hoping that the judge and jury will play along. Yeah. On the political front of this, do you think that people are recognizing that this is a show and this is political theater? Because right now, at least among the Republicans, Trump's still getting 75 percent of the support within the party. However, the media is trying to run a story saying that if he's convicted on any of these January 6th uh, indictments, that 75 percent of those people supporting him now would walk away, which I don't know how we would increase support when he gets indicted, but then walk away when he gets convicted for that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. Nothing they say makes any sense. It's not true. And uh, it's what they're hoping for. You know, they were hoping that all those people would go away when he got indicted. And they, they, they don't understand Americans. They don't understand middle America. They don't understand people who actually love this country, who don't live in an elitist bubble. So they, the Washington, D.C. years, New York people that run the media apparatus, just can't understand what it means to love this country more than yourself because to them, this country, including all the people in it are supposed to be serving them, not the other way around. And so they really just have it backwards, which is why they're wrong on everything. Why their predictions are constantly wrong. It's because they can't understand what it means to truly love this country and to put country above self. There it is, that was Christina Bob. She was the Trump lawyer for the Save America Pact. Also, her book, Stealing the Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. We sat down with her. It was great to chat. We'll get her back on the program again here real soon. Got to take a break. Wrap up hour number one here on the weekend edition of The Voice of Reason. Stay right here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, how the time flies right on by. Wrapping up hour number one. Just a few minutes left here for the weekend edition of The Voice of Reason. Thanks again to Christina Bob coming on the program. Legal team for the Trump campaign. Also, the Save America Pact. She talks about the Biden investigation and the uh, indictments against Donald Trump. So we sat down with her on Friday this past week. I had the honor to fill in for Todd Starnes, the Todd Starnes radio program. 
and we're able to get her on the program there. So uh, since it wasn't on my program, I figured it was a great opportunity for us to air it here and for you to be able to hear what she had to say. We'll get her. She's been on the program many times before with us, and we'll get her back on again. But interesting information. It is funny how the time frames all line up between the, again, the TDS. Remember the Trump derangement syndrome? We no longer have Trump derangement syndrome. It has now been evolving to now the Trump distraction syndrome. We now get to distract about the rest of the world regarding what's going on as long as we just blame Donald Trump. And we played our uh, dump Trump, our Trump dump bailout button that uh, we had last week. We'll do that one. May have to do it again here relatively soon because now we know it all makes sense on what's going on. Speaking of, by the way, real quickly as we wrap up this hour, we have uh, officially... It's. I don't know how far it's going to go. I don't have a whole lot of optimism for it. But according to Fox News, we do have some congressmen and House representatives that have officially introduced articles of impeachment against uh, the current president, Joe Biden. Now, this is at the same time we have the Mitch McConnell, who's encouraging not to file articles of impeachment, and many political experts saying, no, no, we don't want to file articles of impeachment because it could look political going into an election season. And my response to that is, really? Really? Wow. Wow. I'm so glad that you warned us of what a political move could look like if we tried to impeach someone who's absolutely corrupt. Of course, it's going to look political. It's always good. No matter what Republicans do, it will look political. At the same time, if it's something that needs to be done, it's probably something that needs to be done. We have to let we have to punish those that have broken the law. We cannot allow them just to get away with it because it may look bad on our end. I mean, that kind of goes in line of are we doing what's right or are we doing what's good for the public eye? The information's coming out, the audio, the video, the text messages, the whistleblowers from the IRS, the court documents, the tax documents, all the information's coming out. We have overwhelming, over-flooding piles of information that's flooding over the desk right now regarding the Bidens and how corrupt they have been. They continue to see nothing on Donald Trump and yet continue to impeach him and demonize him and indict him and try to throw him in prison on a regular basis. And again, you don't have to like Donald Trump. Totally cool. I'm not endorsing Trump in any way, shape, or form. But I am saying that we need to be fair in our legal process. But as the Department of Justice tries to take over the Hunter Biden investigation, don't worry. These aren't the joy you're looking for. Don't worry about what's going on with the House. We'll just take all the information. We'll put this guy in charge of it who ended up giving Hunter Biden the nice little sweet plea deal that gave him immunity for everything that he possibly could have done. Don't worry. We'll take it all over, which is what we saw from the Department of Justice earlier this week as well. We know exactly what's going on. And thankfully, a lot of Republicans are calling it out for what it actually is, which is the corrupt DOJ trying to put this under the rug because they can draw it out. They can say we're going to do another two-year, three-year investigation. It's not going to go anywhere. And then by the end of it, we won't know what happened. Joe Biden will probably just slip away, and then we can just brush it under the rug. Well, he's out of the public light. We don't want to go after them. We're just going to pretend this never happened as they consume that. But then we have these articles of uh, articles of impeachment against Biden which needs to happen, maybe the timing of it's a little weird, and I'm not saying wait until after the election, but we do need to do it before the election. I don't know if this is the right time until Jim Jordan finishes up the investigations in the House committees, but it needs to happen relatively soon. What it is going to do, however, like usual, unfortunately, is cause disruption among the Republican Party. The House unity is probably not going to be there to make this happen. This is what the third time we've tried to submit articles of impeachment. 
first was it was Marjorie Taylor Greene. Then it was Lauren Boebert. Now it's Greg Stube out of Florida, who's officially filed this one. And the last two times, it caused the rift between the conservative sisters, which is what I like to call them, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, who now apparently don't like each other because one says that the other one's stealing their ideas by filing for the articles of impeachment. So now we have the conservatives bickering amongst each other. And the third time may be a charm, but I don't know if there's enough Republicans to actually do it. I don't know if there's enough Republicans to actually have the backbone. They're going into election season, and if they're in a relatively purple district in their area, they might look really bad by having an impeachment vote on their record going into election time. They could look political, so therefore they're going to shy away from it. So it's a little concerning, but we need to try. But we can see politics is just bleeding into it all over again, and it's unfortunate. Got to take a break. Hour number two right around the corner here. It's The Voice Reasons Weekend Edition. Stay right here.